What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. Um, just before the, the break, we talked with, talked with Daniel Bellamy from UTSA about sports performance, and uh, this is a series that Victoria Morris put together about giving voices to black athletic trainers, and so she's joining us again. But Daniel really left me with a big question, right? And then and I mentioned it in the last time, and again, it's the sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Daniel Bellamy was the last one if you want to go check that out, but we finished with question without questioning. And as we've gone through the leadership series with John Seco, you know, they talk about the ego and um, stepping aside and things like that, and, and Daniel mentioned that there. So it's definitely something I wanted to come back, and then as we were talking, you know, that really kind of plays more into my story. And so... Daniel wanted to share more of his story of how he got to where he is as the director of sports performance at UTSA, and he just recently won a bowl game and had an amazing football season, and undoubtedly sure uh, to some of the efforts there that Daniel has implemented with UTSA and his team and leading his team. And again, I would highly recommend checking out the the last podcast we did with Daniel because it would really set up the, the conversation we're having here, but if not, then just go back and check it out afterwards. So... Daniel, welcome back. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, and, and so we uh, we we won our conference championship. Unfortunately, we did not win our bowl game. Just just a a, a minor minor unfortunate correction I got to make there. Um, still had a had an amazing season, the best season I you know I've been a part of, and I've been super super fortunate. Um, and through conversations with you, I I I, I really can't um, I really can't explain the 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 story of my career without talking about just everything that brought me here. Right. I, I'm, I feel extremely fortunate and blessed to be where I am because this is not necessarily where the trajectory of my career started um, or really even my life started. So I uh, grew up uh, as you, as we talked a little bit about, I grew up in Washington, DC. So I'm gonna go way back. I'll go all the way back to the beginning. Right. So I, I'm, I'm the son of a pediatrician. Uh, my mom's a pediatrician. She went to Howard University. I, I, I talked that to a little bit about that, where I actually ended up working. Um, and my dad was a recreational therapist. Um, grew up in the church. Grew up, you know, uh, really, really loving, supportive uh, Christian parents uh, who sent me to a Christian school. I went to a Catholic high school, um, and then uh, went to went to school, went to college. You know, I, 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 you know, from a spiritual standpoint, like I did a lot of the right spiritual things. I did, I, I said the right spiritual things, um, but I didn't really have a relationship with Christ, right? And so that's really, that's really kind of the, the, the thing that was missing in my, in my life, right? And so when I got to college, although I had done all the right things up until that point, I did what most college kids do. I went and I went pretty wild. I found myself in a lot of really, crazy situations, um, just kind of sinking and, you know, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol and lust and all the rest, just, you know, all of that, just all the way in it, 100% and just embracing that and just very little motivation. You know, I was, I was really depressed and anxious. Um, and I struggled with anxiety and that, that was probably the worst that I've ever struggled with it. And so one of the things I was doing as a coping mechanism it was kind of self-medicating. So I was drinking or I was smoking. Um, and I went through sort of a, so in the middle of that, I kind of went through sort of a, uh, 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 hey, I'm just going to clean myself up, 
period. Like, oh, I'm gonna just clean myself up. And so, you know, that's when I met my wife. So I was like, okay, I'll just figure out what this church thing is about. I know I've gone to church. I know that's kind of what I'm supposed to do when I feel bad. So I started doing that. So again, I was a pretty moral guy. I was doing all, a lot of the right things. Um, and then we got, we, you know, we, I, I met my wife, my junior year, she, you know, she, she stopped me in my tracks when I saw her for the first time and still does that to this day. Um, and we dated for, we dated for, uh, three years. Um, I proposed to her, uh, on, on, in August of 2008, um, after I got my first job, I was working at a high school. I passed my BLC and I was working at a high school. I was working, you know, uh, maybe I was working maybe two or three jobs at the time. Um, just do, doing a, being a rec therapist at one point, being a, uh, not a rec therapist, but being a PT aide and being, uh, I was working as like kind of the weekend head athletic trainer for an arena league team. Um, and then my wife got pregnant with our son. Um, and, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, I, I turned my life around because my wife got pregnant with our son. But to be totally honest, when my wife got pregnant, I, I was kind of at my worst. You know, I was leaving her and going out and smoking and drinking and doing all kinds of stuff and still doing all of that stuff uh, to kind of self-medicate and like bury my guilt as much as I could. And it was around the time that my son, by God's grace, it was around the time that my son was, was, was born um, that I listened to a sermon that really just described my, my life at the time. It was uh, a sermon that uh, from first Corinthians uh, where the pastor was uh, uh, said that the unrighteous do not inherit the kingdom of God. Right. And so I looked at my life and, you know, I was living with my parents. I, re I would go to work. I would smoke and go to work. I was, you know, I was that guy. Like that's where my, where my life was. It was that level of mess, leaving my pregnant wife at home, you know, smelling like whatever coming into work and, you know, just no, uh, no motivation, no initiative, no planning, no, no, no real stewarding of the blessings that I've been given, just taking all that stuff for granted. And that sermon floored me. And then I prayed to God, I asked him to save me. And it was through the, a process of maybe a few years of re re understanding what the gospel meant that, you know, though I deserve, uh, though I deserved the punishment that I thought I was giving, getting, I, I saw that in the cross that Jesus Christ had taken it on my behalf. And I wanted to serve him and do what he wanted me to do. And I could dedicate my life to that. And my life had a new depth to it. So it was at that point that I started reviewing my life and going, well, I need to have some initiative. Like I need to get out of my parents' house. I need to go and, uh, you know, uh, uh, really take advantage of some opportunities and push myself and drive myself and, you know, to take care of my family and, and, and take advantage of these few years that I have on this earth. And so that kind of started my, my career trajectory. So I, I went from, you know, no motivation. I probably would have been at that high school, not really going anywhere. And it's not nothing that there wasn't any issue with that job. It was just, it wasn't, it, it, I could have stayed there forever, not pushing myself to do anything else. It's not as though I, I wasn't actually doing, I was just kind of coasting and floating. Right. And so I just reassessed and reevaluated everything that was going on in my life. I, you know, started, tried to make amends with people that I hurt because I left a trail of, you know, hurt people, um, you know, repair my marriage, wanted to be a good father, saw a new meaning and depth in my marriage and, and in work and all the rest of that. And that's kind of been the path so far. So I, uh, you know, saw, I was like, okay, I want to make some more, I want to get out of my parents' house. 
I want to make a little bit more money. So let me try to get uh, into division one college athletics. You know, I'd had the internship with the San Diego chargers. I was, you know, fortunate enough to, to have that experience with James Collins, uh, who was the head athletic trainer there and Damon Mitchell, who's now currently the head athletic trainer and Marco Zucconi, who is one of my intern, you know, uh, cohort members, um, inter intern class cohort members. Right. And uh, so I kind of tried to leverage some of that worked at Howard university. I worked, four sports at the time worked my butt off um while I was there my uh we had I had a lot of different interesting uh coaches I had a lot of interesting uh experiences uh at Howard University that were really formative for the rest of my career and uh it helped me kind of develop what my more my core values are as an athletic trainer because I again as a as a as a believer I see work and as not something that is uh, secular, but everything that we do is sacred. So it, everything that we believe spiritually is interwoven into everything that we do, right? So if we are made in the, the image of God and God works and God gave work before sin entered the world, then work is good. And so we should pour ourselves into that, um, not make an idol out of it, but we should pour ourselves into it and try to do, do good work for people to help other people. Uh, and so, you know, uh, went through a lot of kind of interesting experiences, uh, became the director of sports medicine at Coppin State University, which was in Baltimore. Um, while I was in Baltimore, the riots went on in Baltimore. I was in the middle of West Baltimore when those were going on. Um, I was actually in D.C. with one of our pitchers uh, who was getting an evaluation for a UCL injury. And we were watching it unfold on TV over like an eight hour period. And then I had to drive him back into Baltimore. And I was like, hey, man, you got somewhere place you got to stay because this doesn't look this doesn't look like I don't, I don't I'm not going it's not I'm not going to sleep well uh, if I drop you back on campus right now. So let me let me is there somewhere else you can stay? And he, he said he had a friend who lived closer to the harbor. So I dropped him off there. Um, got to see the, the you know, the military, the, the, the military uh, vehicles at the mall across the street and all of the kind of craziness with that. And then had the opportunity to to uh, 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 partner with a church and help a church kind of help clean up the neighborhoods and stuff like that. Um, but one of the things that I learned in the, in, at the end of my uh, tenure at the high school uh, with this kind of newfound focus was that the relationships that I built with these, with coaches and with student athletes were great opportunities to show the genuineness of my faith and the genuineness of Christ's love and the glory of those things and to be a great ground for mentorship and just connection and evangelism. But you had to be doing the work well first because you invalidate all the stuff that you're saying if the work that you're doing is, is not done well, if it's not done excellently. If they can't trust you to do your primary job, then you really invalidate your witness everywhere else. And, and, you know, you, you want to sow seeds that grow into opportunities to mentor young men and point them to Jesus. Cause I can't, if you ask me for advice, the only thing I got for you is Jesus at the end of the day, if you really want to get sort of base level, I can't really promise you anything else that I, I can't really give you anything. And so it was kind of navigating that and understanding what the opportunities were. I was fortunate enough when I came back to Howard university, the second time I, I started working with uh, campus outreach um uh who's uh, uh 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 sort of campus kind of parachurch i guess ministry um just looking to make connections with with 
with you know people on campuses on college campuses and my best friend works for campus outreach his name is jonathan morgan he's down in north carolina now but he played football at coastal carolina i actually played with uh josh norman um down at coastal and man we just i mean he would encourage me about work and i would encourage him about ministry and we were just you know thick as thieves and two peas in a pod um and i just worked my tail off i tried to work my tail off while i was there while at the same time uh you know having a growing family at that point we had we we were we had our third child i'm actually we're waiting on our fourth child at the moment um and so um when, when we talk about the the question asking questions without questioning that kind of spills out of uh one of my core values so i tell athletic trainers that there are four things that i think make for great athletic trainers and i look for those character traits um for anybody not just athletic trainers but anybody that's going to be in the sports medicine sports performance space first one is effort and the second one is empathy right and so empathy uh, how that works out is having the ability to see other people's perspectives um and then creating safe spaces to have conversations and not assuming that your initial uh understanding of things is right right like I, I always tell people that my gut reaction is usually wrong right i need time to process i need time to understand and what i learned from working in division one athletics is i got to spend a lot of time with you know we have these crazy coaches but i got to spend a lot of time with them i got to understand what their insecurities were, what their fears were, what their troubles were, and how, while they may be the highest paid people in that department, while they may have all the eyes on them, there are a lot of, there are a lot of troubles and trials and difficulties that come along with this. Hold on one second. My wife actually just called me. So I can, can we pause so I can Call her back and make sure she has everything that she needs. Yeah, why don't you put you put you on mute, and I'm gonna talk to Victoria for a second. Okay. We we've been talking a little bit. I know that we recently missed the Jamie Walls podcast, where we're gonna be talking about your mental health as an athletic trainer, and you were un, you were unavailable because you were out with COVID. Where in your in in this all this transition, have you like really felt like reflection and like is this is this me? Is this something that I'm doing? Is this my fault oh my god that is like nail on the head so the day i left um well more like the night i left i i broke down i and a lot of people know that i have like you know struggling mental health and things like that and the night i left i ended up going to a family friend's house and i left work about nine o'clock i was there till two o'clock in the morning because I knew that, like, I could not be alone. Um, so, like, it was after a basketball game. It was after work. And the way things had ended, they didn't end the way I would have preferred them. Um, I would have prefer preferred it to be maybe a little bit more professional. Um, but I was there because I knew that I couldn't be alone. And then the next day, it was when it, like, it all came crashing down. Like, that I'm unemployed. I'm in a job for something I didn't do. Um, and then like, it was like, did I do something wrong? Did I do this? Like I'm being accused of this one thing. And I, did I actually do that? And it's sitting there going back through the year and a half that I'd been at Elkhart. And it's like, no, I did everything right. Like I did everything I was taught to do, everything I was told to do. And it, I did that for a month and a half. Um, 
every day it got a little bit better, but it never, it never got great. Uh, it honestly, even though like now I have a new job and I work, I still think about it every day. And I'm like, what did I do wrong? What did I do to make this person not like me or want to get me in trouble? But then like, I sit there and I'm like, it wasn't me, it, you know? And I write down, like, I have a journal about it now. And it's strictly just about me leaving this job. And of everything I did that was right, that, like, I protected myself. This is what I did. This, You know, it wasn't me. It wasn't the other person. It was the situation in general. And I, man, it's hard to talk about leaving Elkhart because uh, I love those kids. Like, I can't think about some of those kids without crying. I mean, there were kids that, I found, you know, after leaving work at nine o'clock after a basketball game, I'd go through the locker room and there was a kid asleep in the locker room because mom works two jobs and he's waiting for mom to get off of work at 11 o'clock at night. I never reported it because where else am I going to do? Just kick him outside. I mean, our high school, there's nothing but a highway, but there's nothing around. There's nowhere for him to go. I feel safer with him being in the locker room than I did with him being outside at, you know, nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. So I would lock the doors so he couldn't get out of the locker room. Like he's stuck in the locker room where he has to leave through the back exit. I mean, one day I went in there and he's sound asleep and I go grab a blanket out of my training room and I grab a letterman that's hanging up in the locker room. I'm like, here's a pillow. Here's a blanket. When mom, you know, comes to pick you up, go out the outdoor because you can't get back in the building. And now nobody there for that kid. Like that kid has nobody now because nobody else knew about it. And it wasn't my place to tell, you know, I mean, he wasn't doing anything bad. Like it wasn't my place to tell anybody. And then there's kids that like, I'm getting remind messages now from them. And they're like, coach Morris, like, you know, I hit a home run today or I made a three. Like, I wish you were here to see it. And it's like, I do too, kid. I really do. And, but it's, I'm having to look back and say, Hey, I need to step away from that. That's not good for my mental health as much as I care for those kids and I will come to any basketball game or any baseball game, I will be there for them if they get injured and they need somebody, but like, I can't dwell on it. Um, because it was making it hard. Like I wasn't looking for a job because it's like, I just want to go back to Elkhart. Like once the situation blows over, I want to go back to Elkhart. Now I'm like, I have a job. I have new athletes to care for and it's making it a little, a little bit easier. Um, but as you can tell from my voice, like it's, it's still really emotionally raw, even a month and a half after, after leaving. All right. So we're definitely going to continue that conversation once we talk with Jamie. Daniel, are you back with us? Yeah, I'm back with you. And actually, my wife is here to the side. She's here with She's here as a guest star. <laughs> we were talking there about you just mentioned that y'all is actually, or Daniel's wife, Brittany, is expecting in about two weeks, two-ish weeks, uh, their fourth child. And so... That's exciting, and you know, you you were talking about how you were living with your living with your parents and your first son, um, and then we've gotten all the way up to your core values. But um, again, just the the transformation that occurred because you essentially you tried to fix yourself but couldn't do it, right? And then you talked about how when you finally gave your life to Christ and said, "Hey, this is something that's bigger than me." That's when it really changed. Um, and we were talking about, you know, these rude coaches and things like that. So even just yesterday, I had a situation where a coach came in. Hey, why aren't we taping these kids' ankles? Coach, first the kid came in rude. I said, I need you to do this. I said, hold up, try again. 
This is what we do for everybody. If you want to get your ankle taped, then hop, hop over there. We're going to do the rehab exercises, and then I'll tape you. You know, because we want them to be getting better. They're like, no, never mind. And so it's me stepping aside saying, Coach, this is what I said. It's not that big of a deal for me, but we want them to get better. And it's not, you know, came in, came in hot, came in rude, but I was able to put my ego aside there. So, Dan, why don't you pick it back up uh, where you were and when, yeah. uh, when you're talking about the questioning without questioning. Yeah, and and I two things. I, I really track with Victoria because, like, people, when you talk about some of the aspects of the job and you and people go, well, why the heck do you do this anymore? And it's like, like, these kids, it's addictive. <laughs> like, like, being there for those kids is, like, there is no job in the world where you get to be around athletes and be a part of their entire story and get to influence them in the way that we do in the college setting. We, in a lot of ways, we get to be big brother, mom, dad away from home, right? Like a lot of these kids have never been away from home or some of them didn't have dad. You know, I got a, you know, most, most division one football teams are 75, 80, 90% African-American males. We got a bunch, a lot of, sometimes we have, kids who have ne- who didn't have father figures and have never been around stable black male figures, which is tragic to me because I grew up with an amazing father and a line of good fathers, right? But I get to be that, at least a, some sort of model of that in our setting. And what other setting would I get to be able to do that with, with pe- individuals that everybody assumes they have it all together? You know? I, right, I, I mean, yeah, I, t- I totally agree because like you said, like some of these people, they don't have a role model or anybody in their life or family. And we see them at the highs and the lows. Like we see them when they make that game winning touchdown, but then we we're also usually the first person that's there when they get injured, whether it's, you know, a minor ankle sprain or it's the career ending, like ACL injury, their senior year. What I mean, who else besides maybe a coach or mom and dad, if, you know, they go home to mom and dad, who else is there for that whole entire journey, but us. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes mom and dad or, or just, you know, parent situation is, is toxic. So then you don't, they can't go in this. That's the opposite of the direction that they want to go. I can't tell you how many, you know, six, four, 250, 300 pound kids that look like superheroes I've ever seen in my office breaking down in like babies like crying, like, like weeping because of, you know, depression or just life, just beating them up and, or guilt or all kinds of stuff or history of abuse and all the rest of that. And that, that goes into the discussion with coaches is that I got to, I, I got to hear again, the Bible says, be, be, be uh, slow to speak and quick to listen. Right. So like, I got to hear their perspective on life and what their fears were. And so it made me empathetic. So then my answers weren't as sharp immediately. Right. I was able to kind of diffuse situations and have kind of a heart for them as opposed to going stupid coach. You don't even know what he's instead of doing that. I went, okay. Especially if I had a relationship with them, I could go, he's afraid of the consequences excuse me, he's afraid of the consequences of something he doesn't understand, right? He feeds, he or she feeds their family, makes their living 
off of wins and losses. And this is something that directly impacts their ability to live, right? Their reputation, their way of life, right? So they hold it really, really close. Now, am I justifying it? Am I justifying how they come off or when they say things they're not supposed to? I'm not justifying it at all. But your interaction with somebody that you have empathy for is very different than somebody that you don't, right? You you, you can be very, much more defensive when you uh, when that happens, uh, and sometimes unnecessarily. Sometimes it does it doesn't de-escalate the situation, right? And what I've learned from those situations as well is that it can happen in both directions because athletic trainers we're around sports so much we can question people from different departments. We can question the strength staff, we can question coaches and compliance and administrators, whether it's principals or athletic directors or, or you know, SWAs or, or, or Dean of Students or wherever you are in this, you can question those people, though you don't really have the expertise in that area. So the, the better, and I guess, and really the more humble posture that we have to have first is to ask questions. So being curious is much different than trying to undermine somebody's authority or their expertise. Like to legitimately ask a question to understand and your tone being one of somebody trying to understand the rationale behind something is very different. And so that helps to set a, a safe space in the environment to have conversations. I tell you know our athletic trainers like over communication is much better than anything. Like if you talk to somebody every day like the, the the ability for things to be misunderstood and some of that like anxiety threshold that comes with kind of sparse comments you know sparse conversations uh kind of goes away because it's just a regular part of your routine coach sees you every day and you're always asking what practice is like right what what is what's the structure of practice right what kind of drills we're going to do and then they're always asking you every day well can so-and-so go uh, what what can't they do can they do that drill that's different than once a week, all of, or or spontaneously out of the blue, you go. Well, what are we doing for practice today? Well, what's the what's the what are the drills are we going to do? It's going to be high intensity practice or low intensity practice. Like now, that person is on the defensive because they're like they're like, well, where is that coming from? Are you questioning my authority or my expertise? Because some of those coaches do have those kind of hangups. Like they may see they may present themselves as super confident. And, and, and competent and all the rest, but in their, in, their, in their most private moments, all of us have those questions of, do I know what I'm doing? Am I right for doing it this way? And so when you poke at that and somebody who already may have that sort of underlying feeling, now you've gotten into an unsafe environment and now you're defensive, they're defensive. Exactly, it's just bad because everybody's heightened. Whereas you, if you bring it down, you bring the temperature in the room down, Right. Especially if you you can sense that emotions are already high. Right. If you can bring the temperature of the room down and go like you did, Jeremy, which that comes with time. Right. It comes with time and experience where you go, OK, here we go. And I got to coach this upset about something. Right. So let me calm down. Let me not match his energy. Let me say real calmly, real plainly. Right. I don't have to give him the you know systematic review of why I'm supposed to do this this way. I'm going to give him maybe one or two bullet points justifying, right, what's going on and that kind of explaining it and leave it at that. And if he wants to have further conversation, deflect and go, okay, if you want to talk about this another time, let's talk 
in another setting. Like let's let's revisit this at another time, not when I'm in the middle of what's going on, right? And the way we prevent that in the in you know the converse situation again is that we ask questions from a posture of genuine curiosity, assuming that we don't know and assuming assuming the best, like assuming that they have a good and just and you know at least to loosely scientifically based rationale for what they're going on what they have going on they may not they may they may be nuts but to but to start start with assuming the best right like it, it, it uh, from my experience starting there helps the process and you you end better if you start there as opposed to starting with they are intentionally trying to do the wrong thing, undermine my authority, do something unethical, do something unsafe. You know, some of it, it may just be ignorance. I can't tell you how many times I've had to re-explain COVID protocols, right? A lot, some of it is just, it's just ignorance. Like people have not understood some of the few, and I've tried to keep it very, very simple when we go through a lot of our stuff. Like, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And we're going to do this like five things, like count on your hand. We got five things that we're going to do over and over and over again. Right. And they still go, well, can I do this? And can I do that out of genuine ignorance, out of no sort of malicious intent, genuine ignorance of 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 what we're doing and kind of, you know, hyper focusing on what they got going on, you know. And so my uh, it's best for me to and I have to I don't do this right all the time, but it's best for me in general to assume that they are asking questions and not questioning my authority right and i always try to steer their conversations in that direction as well it, it, this goes in and one of that i think one of the reasons we got on this before was strength and conditioning coaches because i think the the biggest thing and i'm not again i'm not an expert in sports performance and analytics or data science there are lots of lot lots of really smart people who I've gone into a lot of great detail about the sort of the nuts and bolts of how, of what you should observe and how these things work together and coalesce. But one, one of the things I've been very, very fortunate to, to do is understand how you don't ruin those relationships and how you really foster them. And one of the things I hear over and over from people I respect and people who I think, you know, have opportunities to do it better than we do it is that there is a distrust and almost a fear between the two departments, between the sports medicine staff and the strength staff. Questioning them for what they're doing. And the athletic training staff always feels like the strength staff is questioning them for what they're doing. And so what that produces in the strength staff is just frustration and avoidance, right? what it does with the with the athletic training staff is it produces kind of an anxiety and fear a lot of times and avoidance right where you i don't really want to go in the weight room because i feel like i'm being questioned all the time or i feel like i'm being you know looked at a certain way and the strength coaches are like i well what they will say is oh athletic trainers don't know what they're doing but what they're really saying is athletic trainers are questioning me about what i'm doing look at what they're doing right and so if you can start the conversation, if you can start and build a foundation in those conversations where you are listening, so as opposed, you're a, you're a curious listener, right? As opposed to, you know, setting yourself up as a, you know, micromanager, as a somebody who's dictating what needs to be done 
and criticizing everything that's going on, then you can build a foundation where you can have those harder conversations about, hey, we should do this. This is actually what the science says. This is what is going to be helpful. This is what may be harmful and increased risk of injury and, and, and uh, you know, uh, catastrophic injury or even death, right? Um, great example uh, here has been, you know, uh, what we've, what we tried to do, and I actually started this at Howard, was we went in, you know, people love talking about themselves. You, you see me, I'm talking about myself, so I'm going on and on and on, right? So what are, <laughs> one of the things we were able to do is go into the, to the weight room and do sessions, like teaching sessions, right? Like, hey, strength and conditioning coach, teach us, ATs, how you teach or coach a squat. What are you looking at from a biomechanical efficiency standpoint? Why do you value this movement? What are some other movements that you value? What is your philosophy on that? Okay, once you do that, you invite them in. Now they're bought in. They're like, okay, he let me do my thing. He he respects me as an expert, so on and so forth. So then you go, okay, well, this is what we think about this in terms of the regressions of this movement. This is what we value in rehab. This is what we, how we do that movement in our rehab protocols. And then you can have conversations around more serious issues. Like I had to talk with our strength and conditioning coaches about catastrophic injury risk, right? We had to go through that whole document from, from, uh, from the NAT and the NCAA to make sure we were meeting all of those standards. But that wasn't the first conversation that we had. The first few conversations we had were teach me and I'll teach you. And then we'll understand each other. And then we can have conversations because you know I'm not coming from a questioning, you know, domineering, condescending uh, perspective. You know, I'm genuinely coming from a curious as to what is, and my, and my goal is always going to be the what's best for you and your department and what's best for student athletes primarily as both of our priority. Um, that's the perspective I'm coming from, and it builds that trust. So I can walk in his space. He can walk in my space. There's not a bunch of defensiveness, that kind of thing. Um, and obviously, that, that some of that is just is, is, a, is a testament to how great our strength and conditioning staff's personalities are and how receptive they are to stuff. Um, but generally speaking, that's, that, that's where that starts. I really like that. I've noticed is if I go over to the weight room when they're in the weight room, even if I'm over there filling up coolers for practice or whatever, you know, I just kind of walk around the weight room and I say, Hey, um, when you're doing power clean, what's the correct way to do that? Or something like that, you know, and that conversation just builds from there. And then it's just, it really is just a curiosity. Like, Hey, hey, when I was lifting today, like I felt weird when I was doing the the deadlift and and what am I doing wrong? Do I need to touch my hands or something like that? And, you know, so then they get to talking about themselves and what they used to do or why they teach it this way. And it truly is just a question without questioning. But uh, I had a professor in college. She would start off the year by saying, if you ask me a question and my face gets really scrunched up and I look like I'm telling you you're stupid, it's really just me trying to understand what your question is and where you're coming from. So she started off the year with that saying, so ask me your questions, but know that I make this face because I'm concentrating on what you're saying and figuring out where the hangup is. And so like, if you can have that time together, the regular conversation, just like you're just saying, then when that coach comes in yelling at me about, or, you know, questioning with intensity, not taping 
those athletes' ankles, well, we have that history. I, I know what's normal for that coach. I know what's, uh, you know, our relationship. We talk about lots of different things. We talk about life and where we grew up and things like that. And so it's, it's not so much of an issue, whereas the coach where I don't know and doesn't know me comes in because we have that, that history. We, we've had that not first conversation before. So. And what's funny is, and you probably had this experience, I'm sure you have, because you've got that kind of relationship with them. What you'll get is apologies. You, you'll, you'll get apologies where they go, hey, and they'll explain, you know, I was thinking about this, this, and this. I was just trying to get this done. You know, I, I, I don't mean to question what you do. We, 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 we know you, you know what you're doing. I've had enough of those as well to kind of help me go, hey, I don't want to respond like that. Like, I don't want to be so flustered and, and filled with emotion that I, I come off that way. But B, I can identify it as more of a, almost an insecurity, right, than anything, right? It, it, like, I, I don't feel secure about what's going on right now. Help me feel secure with what's going on, and then I'll be fine. But right now, I don't feel secure about it. And with new head coaches, again, that's that feeling out process where it's like both of you guys are kind of like, you're not really yourself yet. You're trying to, he's sizing you up. You're trying to size he or she up. And it's like, okay, so how's this going to work? How are you really going to be? And I tell people, you want to know, you want to know a true coach, uh, that you want to know who the true identity of a coach is, have them lose a lot or win a lot. And then you'll know who they really are. Um, okay, so I 100% agree with that. Like, I'm sure you saw me nodding over here while I'm trying to drive. But um, so I, I was at Elkhart for a year and a half, and <clears throat> we did not have a winning season in any sport but baseball. Uh, so, like you said, when a coach is winning a lot, their personality is one way. When they're losing a lot, their their personality, either their true personality comes through or, like, their insecurities come through. And in my case, like, that came through with my entire football coaching staff and my athletic director because football wasn't doing good and then basketball wasn't doing good and girls sports weren't doing good and all that's, like, weighing on my athletic director's shoulders, I'm sure. Like, I can only imagine, especially at the high school level when you're the head football coach. And the, his insecurities or his true personality, I don't really know. Those came out a lot more this year um and we started out strong we did not finish anywhere near good and it was because of injuries it was because of covid it, it was just a bunch of different things and that's where me and him butted heads because like you said like i tried to do the questioning thing like you know hey i tried to talk to him and then he started coming at me and like questioning me and i would throw back like questions to him like hey i don't understand why you're asking me this like what's the motivation behind this question and with it it was more like this is what i'm explaining and i'm like i am the medical side you are the athletic side so I, from a medical perspective this is what we're doing this is why we're doing it but then I would turn around and say, why from an athletic side do you want to do this or not do this? Like, what is your reasoning? Maybe we can come at a compromise. There, there was no compromising. And it got so bad that it was like I was having to compromise my morals and my ethics that I couldn't do anymore. Like, I mean, not to get too deep, but I did have an athlete with severe mental health. I feel like we're losing her. I think I got her, though. 
but one that was very severe, one I was concerned about. And I've gone through everything she's going through. And yeah, can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you now. I, I can hear you a little better now. What can be indicative of just an unhealthy environment and a like an, a toxic environment we got to be aware of, where just the environment is kind of a powder keg waiting for something bad to happen, is an environment where that is the what what Victoria is talking about is the case, and you got to kind of and that was one of the reasons I left. Another reason I left my my high school job, and that coach actually ended up getting fired too after I had, had left. Um, was that I started seeing exactly what Victoria was saying, where it was, hey, I don't want to question you. Let me step, take a step back and, and, and you know, kind of check my emotions. But at every single point, you are questioning without any compromise or justifying of what you're doing. And I think that what you're doing is actually detrimental to the health and safety of this team and to these athletes. And so if you are seeing that over and over and over, and that's that's sort of, you know, indicative of the culture and you're not getting any support, then those are hills that you can die on, right? Like I, I tell my staff, like, I'm not going to die on every hill, but there's a few that, hey, I'm willing to leave. I'm willing to pack my stuff up. I'm willing to go to toe-to-toe with anybody <laughs> for a few things, Right. And if it's something that I know is directly, like I, I, I feel like I have a moral obligation to say something. I have a moral obligation to stop it and do everything in my power. And then I don't feel supported and it's not changing. Then that's a, that's a sign that that's an environment, that's a toxic enough environment that I, I need to remove myself potentially and remove my hands from that environment or just be ready to be dug in and just fight the good fight for as long as it takes um, and not and not back down. Those are kind of your, your your two options. I've been in both of those scenarios. Somewhere I said, you know what? I If this is how it's going to go, I'm removing my hands from it. I'm going to go in this other direction. You guys are clearly, uh, you know, committed to this, uh, to this philosophy and this way of doing things and building your culture this way. I don't think it's either going to be healthy, safe, or successful, and it wasn't. Um, but I don't want my name attached to it. Um, so I'm gonna move on and maybe that'll be indicative of the fact that there needs to be significant change because it was bad enough that somebody that you otherwise respected and valued said they didn't want to be a part of it. All right. So Daniel, obviously you're doing great things professionally and you're working on your fourth kid going to be here very soon. So tell me, do you feel like you've learned more about questioning question without questioning from being an athletic trainer or when that two, three, four year old questions you and you just have to because i said so (laughs) uh wow that's a really good question i mean i would say man i i think about when i think about that phrase i think about it in terms of work and professionally but i guess me and my wife would say it would be more so from our marriage relationship from being from me and my wife like figuring out ways to communicate and not assume the worst, right? Like assume that the other person's motivation, like they're not doing that thing to annoy you. Like that's not their motivation. Their motivation is not to make your life hard. Their motivation is not to make you sad or whatever. Their motivation, assume that their motivation is, you know, if if not helpful, at least benign, right? Like assume that, right? Uh, 
love hopes all things, right? Trusts all things. So you trust that, you know, this woman who was my bride, who I love with all of my life and all of my heart, um, she's not trying to do me any harm. She's, she either said something or did something, you know, benignly and same way, you know, there's a bunch of things I do that I know annoy the heck out of my wife, but like she assumed, right. She says it comes from a long history of knowing the person as well and, and working out a lot of those differences. And me and my wife just, we, we communicate very differently. That's the other thing is that learning that that's the other thing about questioning without questioning, right? Question without questioning is people communicate very differently. Me and my wife are very different in terms of like how we interact with people, how we communicate. Like I am more of an internal processor. She's more of an external processor. You know, although I like to externally process certain things, um, other things, I just got to go off and be by myself and kind of like, that's what happened when she said that she was pregnant the first time. Like she expected me to just go, Oh my gosh. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta think about this. <laughs> like I had to, but I legitimately, and what she knows now is I'm, she's just overjoyed to think about all the positives. I'm trying to process a lifetime worth of things. I want to keep that child safe from like, I want, they're, they're going to go through this. And then how am I going to think about this? And I want, what do I want? I want this for them. And I want that for them. And I want, and it's just weighty. It was just weighty for me to, you know, understand that I was going to be given this responsibility and privilege that was so precious and important. Right. And so she was kind of upset by that. Cause she was thinking like, well, why aren't you happy? Like what's going on? Like what's going on with you? Right. But then over time, she understood that it was just me trying to process a lot of the things that she processes later oh, on like, oh, kids are getting older. They're going to be doing this. And oh, I didn't I'm worried about this now. And I'm worried about that. And I'm like, yeah, I tried to worry about all of that before they were born. <laughs> you know, um, and so, yeah, I think more so than anything, it's like my my partner in life, my wife um, is learning from that relationship more so than even the kids. Because, you know, trying to make sure that our kids honor her at home and her make, trying to make sure that our kids honor me when I'm around and making sure we're supporting each other and on the same page uh, as we parent our children and kind of and shepherd our children, try to shepherd our children well in a lot of different situations. I think that's probably boasted it more than anything. And just having somebody, again, to, to talk all this stuff through, because me and my wife talk, I mean, she's my number one advisor when it comes to uh, like work stuff. Like, how do I, am I thinking about this right? Am I like, how do you see this? Like this person said this and this was going on. That happens like maybe once a day. Now, this person said this and this is going on. And this is a situation, this is a background. Am I crazy? <laughs> and then she just, you know, gives me her opinion and like, okay, I'm like, okay, I am crazy. Or, you know, maybe I'm not crazy kind of thing. So I think I've, I've definitely learned more of what I'm talking about from being married, even more so than even having kids. My kids are still pretty young too. So they do need to just listen nine times out of 10, nine times out of 10, they do just need to listen without questioning. Cause I don't have time to explain why you can't play in the street. I just need you to not play in the street right now. Definitely the assume the best i wrote that down there as you, as you said it uh, and it's one of the things that if you can make that a lifestyle habit then everything else is going to be 
easier because if I assume the best when my kid asks why, if I assume the best when my wife asks why, when, if I assume the best when the coach says it's changed or we're doing it this way, it's not because they want to make my job harder. Yes, it might. It might make it very difficult for me. But it's not because of that. I mean, especially here, um, like our head coach, our athletic coordinator for the campus is all about the kids. And so if he's doing something, then I need to assume that he's doing it for the best interest of the kids and the program in the overall. And it may make my job a little bit harder or difficult at that time. But I need to understand what his reasoning is. And then from there, it's a lot easier. So... <coughs> If I was going to rename this pot, this episode, this this podcast, it would be "Assume the Best." So, um, I'm not sure if Victoria is still with us. About that time, uh, you got any any other things you want to leave us with about assuming the best, question without questioning, or your story that you may have left out? No, no, no nothing heavy. I, again, I just I'm amazed by just God's grace in my career. It's I just every year is just like I can't believe where I am. I can't believe where he's brought me, I can't believe the beauty of my family and like just all of the provision and just, it's, it's amazing to me. And, and when I, when I lose sight of that, that's when things get dark. And when I, when I have that really in hand and just being grateful for the journey and the opportunities and the, you know, all, all the, all the amazing things I've just been able to be a part of, whether they were hard or difficult or whatever, and all the people's lives I've been able to be a part of, you know, when I lose sight of that is when things get very, very difficult and dark and bleak. And when, you know, a great example is last night, me and my wife were sitting in the bed and I got a text message from an athlete that was one of my athletes, probably my first year at Howard University. Right. And it was he was just it's it started off. He said random appreciation text. Right. Just out of nowhere. He said, you know, uh, you know, over the last like year or so, he hasn't played college football for probably about five or six years at this point but he was a really injury prone kid that we went through a lot of difficult rehabs together. And he said, I, I hurt my ankle and I hurt my knee over the last few months. And I actually been able to rehab myself and I feel a lot better because of all the stuff that you taught me. And he's like, the stuff that you taught me back then is still bearing fruit now. And I was like, well, come on now. <laughs> like I, I've been able to be a part of this kid's life and he's doing well. He's got a wife and kids and it's just, it's amazing, man. So I'm very, very. <laughs> Isn't that like the best ever getting that those? Like, <laughs> that's that. That's what hooks you. I, I swear, that's what hooks you. It's the kids that hooks you. All right, um, Victoria. Any final thoughts there? Uh, the Facebook Live, YouTube. The, if those streams are messed up, if they're even going still, then I apologize. <laughs> the software is cutting in and out. Um, it is what it is. But as far as the podcast, it should be should be good to go and I'll have that up on the website and this actually won't be posted until Daniel's number four should <laughs> should should be coming out in March and so then you can never everybody can uh, find Daniel on Facebook and see pictures of his adorable number four um, but Victoria happy national athletic trainer month if this comes out in March <laughs> right, Victoria any, any closing thoughts uh, I mean, I just, everything that he mentioned, like, especially now that I'm starting a new job, like, I'm taking all of that, and I'm doing, like, when I meet my coaches now, I make sure I stop by, like, the front office, and I do exactly what Daniel said, like, get to know these people, 
on like kind of, you know, not so much a super personal level, but just talk to them every day. Like I talked to the receptionist, I talked to the assistant athletic director and the athletic director and I'm like, hey, how's it going? How's your morning? And then like I go in and I don't work men's basketball, but like that office is the first one I walk past. So if coach is in there, like if he's not having a meeting, I'm going to pop in and say something. That way later on down the road, if I need him or he needs me, like we have that little bit of connection that there's trust there. So I don't feel like he or she's going to be questioning me. Like they're genuinely want to know that information. Whereas I didn't have that at Elkhart because of COVID. Like we spent, you know, all of us were coming in at one time. We were all starting. We didn't have that downtime of off season. It was like, bam, football practice. Um, and then, yeah, the whole like positive, like the positive outlook, that's what I'm trying to get. I tend to dwell on the negative just from my own personal experiences, but like this new job, I'm going into it with a positive mindset. And even if something like, if I go into work today and something bad happens, I'm going to think about the one good thing that happened today. Like I got Chipotle or, you know, coach, you know, actually trust said he trusted me or I got a text from a kid or what, whatever that one positive thing is. And then like, I just try to make my whole outlook on life follow that so that hopefully I don't have the situation I had at Elkhart last year. Dan, you want to wrap it up for us? No, just, again, I, th- I appreciate you guys. I, you know, I, I started listening to this podcast probably when I was at the high school. So to be a guest on it is, again, it's surreal. And another thing I'm just grateful for. So I appreciate you guys. And to be in Texas is, again, surreal because I would have never guessed that I'd be, as a kid who grew up in the, on the East Coast and the, the, the Washington, D.C. area, that I'd be sitting in San Antonio <laughs> in Texas. I did. I did. Again, I'm trying to take in all the experiences. I'm trying to take in all all the benefits. So yeah, it was amazing, and we're still eating on that. We got a bunch of we got a, a a freezer full of deer meat that we're trying to take advantage of. So, and again, if if you want to send them, you know, the five ten dollar Starbucks gift card or something for him or his wife, and the next couple of weeks they're gonna have a baby, so they're gonna be sleeping less, they're gonna be hungry, or you know, a Pizza Hut or something. I don't know, something like that. But definitely take care of Daniel for sharing. Uh, all this wisdom with us over the last month or so so daniel the best way to get a hold of you last time you said your email uh and i didn't write it down this time what is that again so it's my first and last name daniel dot bellamy which is b-e-l-l-a-m-y at utsa.edu all right so daniel bellamy at utsa.edu and then victoria is on social media facebook tiktok twitter uh, so check her out right there morris underscore at i believe yep that's right all right so definitely check her out there i know she's getting close to um hundred thousand or hundred thousand followers on tiktok something like that i'm at ninety-seven thousand. so like three more three thousand more so actually victoria i know that some of my students they're like hey do you ever see those athletic trainers on tiktok and so one of them mentioned you and they mentioned eli and uh, i think nate and something like that so so even here in my high school, it's definitely making a difference. So keep up the great work of advocacy for athletic trainers through TikTok. So, Thank you. Very cool. Well, if you need more, reach out to Daniel. Maybe he can be a speaker for your class, your master of athletic training program, your high school athletic training program, something like that, or Victoria as well. So for Jeremy Jackson, the sports medicine broadcast, Daniel Bellamy out at UTSA, 
for Victoria Morris, starting her new job at Tyler Community College and the Sports Medicine Broadcast. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash question without questioning. Again, question without questioning. And then our first episode with Daniel is Daniel Bellamy. So sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Daniel Bellamy is the first one we did with him. And then this one is question without questioning. So go out there, assume the best, have a great day. And that is a wrap.